0: Praise God. He rose from the dead. That's why we're here. That's why we're worshiping. That's why we're praising his name. It doesn't get any better than that. So thank you, worship team. Well, I want to start out today with a question. The question is, is there anything quite like that new car smell? You know what I'm talking about? When you get a new car, has anybody ever experienced that? I know some of us haven't. Um, But before the nacho cheese gets spilled, before the kids come in and trash it, when you have a new car and you just are treating it with kit gloves, it's such a great, great feeling. And I would say that's true with with one caveat, and that is there's nothing quite like starting a new sermon series here at Doxa Church, all right? So, yeah, think about it for a second. It's not depreciating in value. This is eternally valuable, right? Uh, Unlike a new car... God's word will change your life for sure. So take your Bibles, turn to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians 5, we're getting back into the book of Ephesians. And if you're with us for maybe maybe you're new here and you're like, "Where, where am I? What have I gotten myself into? Who are all these crazy people that believe a new sermon series is better than getting a new car? Well, let me tell you, like, God's word is where we get to know our creator. It's where we get to know our savior. It's where we find hope and joy in the meaning of life. And yeah, we're half kidding with tongue in cheek comments about this, but the truth of the matter is, we can try to find our way in this life and we can listen to people's opinions and we can run on emotions, but there is nothing like the standard of truth that is God's word, right? So we value this and we uphold this. Um, and if you don't believe that right now, maybe, maybe you don't really know where you stand with Jesus. Maybe you, you don't see the value of God's word as I'm portraying right now. You know what? That's okay. I'm glad you're here. And let me tell you, today in this message, it's all about how Christians, people who worship Jesus, should relate with people who don't worship Jesus. So if you don't worship Jesus and you're saying, all right, well, what is this for me? Well, you get to sit on the inside of a little chat here between Christians. And this is a very important topic. It's it's almost watershed in how we relate with people who are lost, who don't know their savior. It's super important that we get this right. It's a complicated thing. It's a, it's a tricky thing to navigate at times. But here we are, Ephesians chapter five. And if you remember, before Thanksgiving, we had a series in the fall. It was called Beloved Identity, and we were going through the book of Ephesians. We were talking about how, as a follower of Jesus Christ, you have a beloved identity. You were called out of darkness into light. You have a new mission. It's to walk in love and it's to imitate your father and it's to show the world the light of Jesus Christ. That's what that whole series was about. And today we're gonna be in Ephesians 5 starting in verse 6, but the foundation of this whole relationship series goes back to what the book of Ephesians was about, what we've seen that entire time in the Beloved Identity series. So... The next four weeks, we're going to be talking about how you walk in love in your different relationships. This week is our relationships with the lost. Next week, it's going to be our relationships in the church. Then it's going to be the relationship of marriage. And then the relationship in a home. All of those home relationships, those home dynamics. And yes, they are worth fighting for because if you want them to be the best that they can be, there's going to be obstacles, there's going to be difficulties. And sometimes it's doing the challenging thing and the hard thing that actually is the best for you. And sometimes if you rub the wrong way, which you probably will be at one point or another in this relationship series, because I'll give you a fair warning, some of this stuff is very challenging in the next few weeks. If you rub the wrong way, sometimes that can refine you. Okay, so our goal is to go to the Word of God to see what God's Word says about our relationships. We'll see they're worth fighting for, and they're not going to always be easy if we want them to thrive and to be the best that they can be. So look with me in, ch- in chapter 5, verse 6, and let's read the first few verses. Ephesians 5, verse 6. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partakers with them, For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true, and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. So the first specific way that we walk in love with the lost, number one, is to shine light. Shine light. It's really that simple. The first action point that we see here from verse 7, though, is to not become partakers with the sons of disobedience. Yeah, it's it's starting out pretty negative, (laughs) pretty dark. But notice how it points back in verse 8. It points back to your old way, and it contrasts it with your new identity. See verse 8 there? For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Darkness... Versus light is one of the most well recognized common metaphors in, in scripture, and the light, from an intellectual perspective, it, it represents truth and in, in knowledge, and from uh, from a perspective of darkness, it really rec- it it acknowledges ignorance. You can even see that in Ephesians four verse eighteen. It says they are darkened in their understanding. Alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. So that's the intellectual perspective. And then you have this moral perspective of light versus darkness, and light represents godliness, darkness represents sin. You see this all throughout Scripture. But the Apostle Paul, for one example, when he was standing before King Agrippa, he said that he needed to turn from darkness to light, which was turning from the power of Satan to God so it doesn't get any more black and white than that contrast turning from darkness to light is something that we have to see that we have to do in our lives if we're going to be a follower of Jesus Christ but did you catch that it asked you to recall what what it asked you to recall about the darkness in verse 8 it doesn't say that you were in darkness it doesn't say that you were afflicted with darkness what does it say about that Recall that you were darkness. This is what theologians call total depravity. Apart from the light of Christ, sin affects the totality of our being. Everything about us is actually off. It doesn't mean that you sin in every possible way. That's utter depravity. It's not that. It's just that we're not a blank slate. When we are born, we are born with a sin nature. And so, you know, a lot of people think, well, you know, I'm a sinner because I sin. That's not actually accurate. The Bible teaches us that you sin because you are a sinner. It starts from there. Um, And anybody who's had a two-year-old can tell you, you know, you don't have to teach a kid how to whine and cry and be selfish and be a little heathen. It just, just comes naturally, right? And it comes naturally for all of us. I hope you see the difference here. The biggest problem apart from Christ is not what we do, it's who we are. Before Christ, we are darkness. And this is how, I mean, you may think this is really negative, and David, weren't we supposed to be talking about our relationship with the lost people? Why are you focusing on my dark side? All right. Well, the reason is this is how Christianity stands out from all other religions. All other religions start with, hey, you know what? You're basically a good person. And let's get some behavior modification in there and make you the best person that you can be. That's what religions are. But Christianity is the one religion that says, hey, here's an offensive word. You're a sinner. You're actually broken. You're actually darkness. And the only way that you can have salvation and become new is what God does for you and through you with Jesus Christ. So behavior is a symptom of the internal problem we were all sinners. There's an offense of the gospel, but God, in his love towards us, sent Jesus Christ while we were still sinners to die for us. Jesus isn't about just changing what you do. He wants to change who you are and give you a beloved identity. He changes your core. And education isn't what you need. It's actually not religion. That is what, that's not what you need. What you need is being revived by God. So, why am I going on and on about this? Well, if you remember in our Jonah series, and even in our own lives, if we forget this point that we were darkness, but now we're light by the grace of God, if we forget that, what happens to us? We become proud. We start looking down on others. And I say all this because that's a really bad starting point with your relationship with a lost person. If you're looking at them as like they don't have it figured out, they don't got what I, I have, what's their problem, you're not going to be an effective light for Jesus Christ. We cannot forget this. And this, this is the truth that makes us humble and compassionate. So you were darkness, but now you are light. And again, this is the theme of the book of Ephesians, And this calling to remember is something we see over and over and over again. As a matter of fact, if you break down Ephesians, 89% of this book is a call to remember. I just made that number up. I'm kidding. It's not 89%. I don't know that for sure. But the point is, a lot of this book is a reminder of who you are in Christ. Why are we always being reminded of, of who we are in Jesus Christ? The reason is because we all have this subtle tendency to just forget our true identity, and fall back to our old way. We all, you could in a sense say we're spiritual amnesiacs, okay? We have spiritual amnesia and we forget the gospel. Like we we know it, we know the truth, but then life happens, we get busy, things start going on, we're trying to survive the rat race and we fall back on our own patterns, our old patterns. It's a, it's a very consistent theme of the Bible to remind you again and again and again, hey, this is who you are. You are light. Walk with the light of Christ. We can forget that we're perishable old ways, but we cannot forget that we are children of light. So if you just claim Christ, give him two hours on Sunday when you don't have any conflicts, And you forget about the other six days of the week, there's some inconsistency there. And that's not called walking in the light. So much of the Christian life is remembering what you already know to be true about yourself. And this is one of those sermons today. So how do you remember that? How do you recall that? How do you live that out? Well, again, it's simple. Read the Bible. Listen to truth from God. Speak back to him in prayer. And then First John 1.17 says, if you walk in the light, you must have community, have fellowship one with another. So these are important aspects of remembering who we are. And it is practically impossible to do that if we're not to, it's practically impossible to walk in the light if we're not giving ourselves to those things. It is a community project. It is a team sport. We have to have each other's back in this, which is why you're here today. There's a quote about light from a pastor. Uh, I want to show you this. It actually, uh, it actually helps see where we're going with this. Uh, if we have it up here, yes. When Christ was in the world, he was like the shining sun. Here in the day and then gone at night. But when the sun sets, the moon comes up. The moon, the church, shines, but not with its own light. It shines with reflected light. Is that helpful? I think that is helpful, and I like where this pastor is going. I didn't actually put his name up here because I don't want to, like, rain on any parades. That's good, but you know what What Ephesians 5 says is actually better. Because it doesn't say that you just reflect the light. What does it say about us and the light? It says that you are the light. You're not a reflection. You are the light. And you're like, oh, whoa, David. But Jesus says in, in John 8, 12 that I am the light of the world. And then somebody else may shoot in over here and say, oh, yeah, but Matthew 5 says that you are the light of the world, speaking about followers of Jesus. So what is it? And why is this pastor saying that we're reflecting the light when this passage says that you are actually the source of light? What What is going on? Well, 2 Peter 1, 4 clarifies it because it's both and, all right? 2 Peter says, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises so that though... Through them, you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. Do you see that? Does that help you with your spiritual amnesia? You are the light. You have become a partaker of the divine nature of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ lives inside of you, and he shines outside of you if you are walking in love as Christ has called you to live. This is a really big deal. This is huge. So It's not just about perceptions. It's not just about principles. I am to be following Jesus and showing the world who Jesus is. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So it's a person that we represent. We can't just think that as a believer in Christ, I'm simply following rules and regulations. No, you're following a risen Savior. And that's who we are shining. The righteousness of God. Look again at verse 9, because this gives us some further clarification. You know, we don't just step into the light. We are, we are becoming the light. We are the light. And verse 9 says, for the fruit of the light is found that is all is good, found in all that is good and right and true. So I love this. This is how we shine our light. Now, good can mean a lot of things, can it not? You know, you can have a neighbor, and he can be a good guy. You could also have a neighbor and he could be good at country music and those two things aren't mutually exclusive right (laughs) they can be very different things so people can have different definitions of good I mean good people can even have different definitions of what is good or not I mean some people would say that uh that abortion promotes human flourishing other people would say well you know what that person that life that was taken didn't have a choice so how is that good You have a big debate there on what is good. How do you know what is good or not? Well, there's more here, right? What is good, what is right, and what is true. To know what is good, you have to know what the righteous standard of God is, because God is good. This is why we go back to the Bible, right? It's an authoritative truth source that's outside of our own opinion, outside of our own feelings and emotions. The word of God reveals who he is, because God is truth, God is love, and if it doesn't match God's character, it's not right and it's not true. So it doesn't matter what your neighbor thinks, what they say on TV, it's I'm going to go back to God's word, what's the standard of who God is, and that's how I know what is good and right and true. And that's what I need to reflect and I need to show with my light. Compare it to the righteousness of God. Does it align with His character? That's a very important question that you have to use. Now, this is usually where we get pumped up on Sunday. Oh, yeah, I got this. All right, I am light. I'm going to shine it. I can do this. And we're, we're singing the songs, and we're just stoked, right? And then come Monday, it gets a little harder. And then by Thursday, it's like, oh, I'm struggling my shoulders. My arms are up. I can't do this. This is so hard. I'm forgetting that I was purged of my old ways, and here I am again making the same old dark decisions, that happens to the best of us, but I love that the Bible gets us, and if you look in verse 10, uh, it just shows us right here what the way God looks at it. Verse 10, it says, and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. I love the word try here because this is showing you that God is not expecting perfection is what he's doing, he's asking you to try. So when Julie and I tell Beckham and Paxton to go upstairs and to clean the the loft area, for for all of the people that have been in our house when it's not like life group night, and there's like a great group of young women who babysit our kids. We have like a whole army of like young ladies who babysit our kids and they've seen our room when it's not life group night and it can get pretty messy up there, right? But when I tell the boys to go up and clean the room, I'm not expecting them to whip it out and to do the same thing Julie and I would do. Julie and I can get up there in three and a half minutes. It can be spotless. You know, the boys are going to put a couple things away, start playing. Put a couple more things away, get distracted, get, get in a fight, uh, start crying. Solve that. Let's keep working on this cleanup process. It's not very efficient, but that's okay. What am I looking for? We're looking for effort. That's all I'm expecting. I just want them to do their best. That's the way the Lord looks at us. When he says, try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. So again, it's not this, I have to be perfect. I got to measure up. Oh, I can't make any mistakes. No, God just says, hey, I want to see you give some effort. Try to discern what is right and good and true. And in Romans 12, we actually have another verse that uses this same phrase. This phrase, try to discern, It means examining something. It means putting it to the test. So as a church, we can either try to please other Christians, we can either try to please people who don't know Jesus, or we can try to please the Lord. And and this should be a rally cry, a fighting verse for our church that we can actually get behind. Like, I'm going to try to please the Lord. Look at Romans 12, though. Romans 12 says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that by testing, it's the same word, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. So, church, when we're wrestling with this stuff, when we're trying to discern what is pleasing to the Lord, what is good and right and true, what kind of light I should be shining, we need to be asking Does it please the Lord? and is it perfect. Now the word perfect there is just another way to say is it the best. It's that same biblical concept of expediency. Is is it the very best to glorify God to show the world who God is? I mean, we have to get past this whole concept of if the Bible doesn't explicitly condemn it, then it's okay. Just go for it and have at it, man, have fun. That's not what we see in the Bible ever. The 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 wrong question is, well, is it sinful? That, that's not a question we even really need to worry about. The question is, does it match the character of God, and does it please the Lord? We're looking for what is best. So we have, to, we have to ask that question on how we spend our weekends, how we use our voice, like what kind of entertainment we consume. These are all issues where we ask that question. Stop asking, is it sinful, and just ask, does it please the Lord? That's how you shine light. So the other factor here that you cannot overlook is this goes without saying, but that means that everything is not just black and white, right? Do you see that? There's not just this is good, this is wrong, and there's no gray. No, there is actually gray because what can be good and helpful for someone might not be good and helpful for someone else. So we actually need to be strategic. We need to be intentional with what we're, what decisions we're making because some of these things can be fine and dandy, and we can, we can use them, and it can glorify God, but you know what? It actually would be a stumbling block for someone else, so we should be careful with that and what we do with someone else. This implies that it's gonna take some prayer. It's gonna take some leading of the Holy Spirit, but this is what we're talking about. We're talking about walking in the light and showing the love of Jesus Christ. It doesn't get any bigger than that. That's our greatest calling. So here's the second way now, that you walk in love with the lost. The first one was pretty simple. It's shine light. Second one is just as simple, all right? Point number two is expose darkness. Look with me in verse 11. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret, but when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. Now, I know some of us, sitting in here right now, or hearing this, expose darkness, and you're just like, yeah, preacher, preach it, get them, expose that darkness. I mean, this, America's going to hell in a handbasket out there. I don't even know what that phrase means, but I mean, we say it, and it's like, it's Sodom and Gomorrah out there, expose the darkness. Like, okay, let's settle down, let's slow down. Is that the tone that we see here in the text? Let's, let's look again at verse 11. What does verse 11 say? It says, Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. So right off the bat, this doesn't say take no part in unfruitful people. It says take no part in unfruitful works. Now, granted, this is a tricky, you know, hairy issue because people and what they do, do actually go pretty hand in hand. I would would give you that for sure. But again, there's going to have to be strategy. There's going to have to be intentionality in how we engage light and expose their darkness. One of the passages that actually bring a little bit more clarity to this passage is in 1 Corinthians. And last year, we had a series called Called Out. We went through the book of 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians 5 is a great chapter on this. So if you could turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 5, I'm going to turn there myself. We preached a sermon on this called um, Protect the Body and Love the Soul. And a lot of people take this passage and they, and they use it as a passage talking about church discipline, what the American church calls church discipline. Really, it's the process of restoration when somebody falls and somebody's in trouble. And if they don't respond the right way, the loving thing to do would be to discipline them as a church. But this is what 1 Corinthians 5 talks about. Verse 9, I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, Not at all, meaning the sexually immoral of this world, or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters, since then you would need to go out of the world. But now I am writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother, that means they claim to be a Christian, if he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed, or as an idolater, reviler, drunkard, or swindler, not even to eat with such a one. For what, I have, what have I to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges those outside, purge the evil person from among you. Now I know, we're getting to a text that isn't usually brought up on Sunday mornings. <laughs> but I'm saying this to show you, look, We have to relate with people. We have to connect with people who are outside the church. The Bible makes that very clear. You're not supposed to separate from those people. The only people you actually separate from are as a man or a woman who says, I love Jesus, I serve Jesus. And then they're going out with their life and they're making consistent, repeated decisions that oppose and are contrary to God's way. And then when the church comes in and says, hey, you know what? What you're doing right here is actually harmful. It's actually destructive for you. And they say, you know what? Thanks, but no thanks. I still want no part in that. And they continue to do that sinful behavior. That's when the church actually, in a loving way, should try to restore them by saying, you know what? What you're doing right now doesn't sound like Christ. So the Bible tells me that we actually separate right here over this until you can get this right. That's biblical separation with somebody in your church. We cannot confuse that with what we do with the lost because this passage makes it abundantly clear that you are to go into the world. Jesus says that in John 17. You are sent, I am sending you into the world. So exposing darkness doesn't mean that we get angry and upset about sinners being sinners. That's, 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 that's ridiculous. They're, they're doing, they're, they're living out their own identity, right? That's who they are. It means that when we shine light, what will it do? It will naturally expose darkness. We don't have to go out there and start calling out every sin that they do. What we need to actually do is show Jesus and talk about Jesus Christ. And that will naturally expose the darkness. There's actually three, three different ways that you and I, will relate with the darkness. No matter what you're trying to do, you're actually relating to the darkness in one of these three ways. The first way is either um, you receive it. So this is where you're like, I like this, this is fun, I'm gonna just go for it, have at it. Um, you're watching the same things that the world watched, like filthy entertainment. Like you're, that's, that's receiving the darkness. And some Christians stumble in that. The second way that we can relate with the darkness is we can just flat out reject it. And this is where uh, historically, the church has, has done this often of like, all right, that's evil and bad and wrong, it's gonna affect me, so I'm gonna put myself in this cocoon, I'm gonna live in a bubble, and I'm going to shield myself and protect my kids in every, every way possible. We're going to go to a Christian camp, Christian sports camp, Christian school. I mean, I'm not against Christian school, but you get the gist. I'm only going to listen to Christian music, and you just remove yourself from the world. You're rejecting it. The third way that we relate with the darkness is the biblical way that we should be relating with the darkness. This is the balanced approach, and it's redeeming it. That's what we're called to do. We're called to go into the world, to connect with the lost people by showing them who Jesus is and letting Jesus naturally expose their darkness. Again, we don't have to call out every single sin that they're doing. We have to call them up to Jesus. Share what has God done in my life. This is the steadfast love of God. This is the grace and the mercy that I have received. When you point that out, it will be very stark and very contrastingly different than what they're experiencing. And Jesus will take care of the rest. So, practically speaking, how do you engage a dark, lost world and expose darkness with light? What's the medium of the context that verse 12 gives us? Implicit in the text, it's how we communicate, it's the words that we used. We expose darkness by talking about the light. And this isn't complicated. If you're you're talking about the light, you're gonna be talking differently. You just are. You're not gonna be angry about the same things. You're not gonna be dealing with the same stuff. You're gonna be sharing them, hey, this is what happened in my life. This is what Jesus did for me. This is what Jesus can do for you. And that will speak for itself. They will say, whoa, this person is different. They have something I don't have. That's a beautiful, beautiful thing when that happens. When we as a church stop calling sin for what it is, we become irrelevant because we're not walking in the light, we're not sharing the light. When we lose the language of love and hope in Jesus Christ, we become useless. We don't need to make excuses for a holy God either. A lot of Christians will just take this approach when they're dealing with the loss of like trying to like excuse away God for all these hard-to-understand things. It's almost like they treat God like the embarrassing uncle at the party who's saying inappropriate things that don't make sense. And, oh, did he say that? Oh, well, you know what? It's what he really meant was this. Like, no. I mean, God is truth. And I mean, I'm reminded of that quote by St. Augustine. The truth is like a lion. You don't have to defend it. Let it loose, and it will defend itself. People don't have to understand every single last jot and tittle, crossing of the I, or dotting of the I and crossing of the T about Jesus or the Bible. The Holy Spirit can lead them to that eventually. What you need to share is what Jesus did for you. That will make the difference. Shining your light will automatically expose darkness. This is how I summed it up. You don't have to point out how dark something is. All you have to do is talk about Jesus, and Jesus will expose whatever needs to be exposed. That's the truth that we see in this passage. Hopefully this is resonating with us. But honestly, if you just stopped at verse 13... You could still make a counter-argument, David. You know, David, I still see us exposing darkness. I still don't quite get it. Well, that's where verse 14 comes in, because verse 14 leaves nothing to doubt. Look at verse 14 with me. Back to uh, Ephesians chapter 5. For if anything becomes visible in the light, therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. If all you're doing is confronting evil, a couple things are going to happen. You're going to become grumpy and frumpy, okay? Don't stop there. What you need to be doing, don't be that crusty Christian who's just exposing darkness. Instead, share what Jesus has done for you. This is a call to repentance. This is sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. Awake, O oh sleeper. Christ wants to shine on you. He's going to wake you up from your sleep. This is a beautiful thing. It's a call of repentance and faith. I want you to wake up and have Jesus Christ breathe new life into you. And actually this phrase, "Awake, O sleeper, this little, these three lines, this is actually, most church historians will say this is actually one of the earliest Christian hymns. This is a little phrase from an old, 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 old hymn. So our message as a church shouldn't be Christ is going to judge you if you don't straighten up. I'm calling you out on these things that you're doing wrong. I mean, yes, is sin part of it? Is darkness dark? Yes, it is. But it doesn't end there, right? The good news far outweighs the bad because the good news says you are a sinner. You can't save yourself. The good news is but God loved you anyway and sent Jesus Christ to die for you. The tone of the gospel is, I was hopelessly lost in darkness, but now I found the light. Now, Jesus Christ is making my future incredibly bright, and anyone can get in on this. Anyone can get in on this. So I'm going to share it with you. Do you see how exposing darkness is less calling people out and more calling people to Jesus? Because Jesus will expose their own darkness. He is the light that we are shining. Now, if you're not a follower of Jesus and you've been sitting on the inside this whole time listening to this, let me just say, this is a good time to stop and say, this is what Jesus wants for you. Jesus doesn't want to judge you. He wants to forgive you. He wants to shine his light on you. He wants to make you new. And the way that we receive newness of life is we say, God, I am sorry for living my way and doing it my way, just doing my thing. That didn't get me very far. I believe that you sent Jesus into this world to die on the cross to take my sin. You paid the penalty that I deserved. I believe on the cross. I believe that Jesus died. I believe that Jesus rose again. I am sorry. Will you forgive me? And that's how you have a relationship with God. That's where, that's where it all begins right there. There's one more way that we walk in love. And I mean, if you have never made that decision, you can do it right now. Don't leave here today without making that decision. But back to the text here as a church, there's one more specific way that we walk in love with the lost. And this is point three keep an eye on the clock. Verse 15, look at with me in verse 15. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. In case we already forgot. <laughs> remembering is a huge part of the Christian life. And we can forget that we're light, we can slip up, we can make dark decisions. We all battle spiritual amnesia in one way or another with our beloved identity in Christ. But to walk in love means that you aren't strolling on a pier on vacation with an ice cream cone in hand. That's not the way we live our life. That's not what verses 15 and 16 say. Now, of course, we have to be balanced about this, right? Because there is a time and place for rest. It's very, very important. You should get on the pier sometimes, and go to the beach, and go to the mountains, and have hobbies, and, and, and recuperate, and, and recharge. All of that is very important. And I'm one of those people who have to, like, force myself to rest and take a break. But it's, it's valuable, and it's there. We have to do that. I'm not saying to never rest. Of course you should rest. God created the Sabbath, and he called it holy, okay? He wants you to do that. But the point is, we live with a little urgency, my life isn't just a stroll in the amusement park, right? It's not. I'm not created just to have fun. Now, having fun is a byproduct of a life when you live it for the glory of God. You will have a lot of fun, believe me, but that's not the number one goal. The number one goal is to make him known, to glorify God, to shine light. That's the goal. And when we do that, we're automatically going to be exposing darkness, and we also have to realize that we're on the clock, James says that life is a vapor. It's a breath that vanishes quickly. The corridors of time are closing. Now, God is not bound by time, but we are. So we don't have all day, every day, just to sit around and kick our feet up and do whatever we jolly well please. No, there is some urgency. Redeeming the time because the days are evil. That's what the King James translates this this verse as, verse 15, verse 15. And when I was growing up as a kid, my mom would always quote this verse to me, David, redeem the time because the days are evil. I heard that over and over again. And we as a church, if you've been here with us very long, you know what that word redeem means. I mean, it's translated here, make the best use of the time. But literally, it's talking about buying it back out of slavery. In 11 days, Pakistan is using the money that our church gave, and he's going to go to a slave owner in Pakistan and he's going to buy out the freedom of a slave. I can't wait for that for that to happen. Like it's going to be awesome. Our church has done that. Pray pray that those details work out and it actually follows through. But when you realize that you don't have all the time in the world, that time is valuable, that time is a gift from God, and you're living to shine light, you're actually redeeming the time. Because you're not living as a slave to what that person says, what that person thinks. You're not just trying to please everybody else. Who are you trying to please? The Lord. And you're shining the light of Jesus Christ. Worship team, you can come up right here, right now as we wrap this up. When you walk in the light and you live out your beloved identity, you start to redeem the time. You aren't a slave to the urgent. You're going to make the best use of the time you have, and you know that it's limited. You know that you can't fix every single problem, right? You can't. But what can you do? You can love the people in front of you. That's how you shine light. So the question is, church, how are you spending your time? We all have to answer that question. We don't usually have to look very far to shine light, and then hence they go hand in hand, expose darkness at the same time. You don't have to look very far. They're all around you. Sometimes we get so focused on our own stuff that we forget that the people all around us need to see the light of Jesus. Sometimes we get so focused on one person or one particular way that we forget the simple pattern that he's laid out before us. Some of us need to make changes. Some of us need to radically rearrange some of the priorities that we have in our life to shine light and expose darkness. I was on a plane a few years ago and I was sitting next to a really nice guy, um, had had a young family, really sharp guy. He was in the Air Force and you know, when I'm on a plane, I'm usually trying to just ask a few questions. If you ask people enough questions, eventually you can you can sprinkle in Jesus. And this guy was Jehovah's Witness. Okay? And so I, I was like I was I was like, "Oh no, this is like it's the hardest, right? Because they're talking about the same phrases, the, using the same words, but they have different definitions." And his religion, he was a very moral person. He had it all together, but he was doing it Good works to achieve salvation. Like that was what his life was. And I was talking to him about like how'd you find this? He's like, Well, you know, I was I was in a bad place, I was struggling in life, and these people knocked on my door and they showed me the way. Literally, he changed his whole life. He became a very moral person. He wasn't a moral person before, he became very moral. He got that behavior problem fixed. But he didn't find Jesus. And the Jehovah's Witnesses found him. That breaks my heart, right? They're out there. They're doing that work when there's people all around us. There's a lot of people around us right now in Spartanburg, South Carolina, in the upstate area that claim to be a follower of Jesus Christ, but they have no fruit, right? No fruit at all. It's just just a tag that they put on their name. We have people all around us that don't have the light that we have, and it's our calling to share that. All of us can use this reminder. Shine light. In the process of shining Jesus, we will automatically be exposing darkness. Share it with the people you're rubbing shoulders with. Again, you don't have to go bar hopping to do this, right? You can do this in school. You can do it in class. You can do it at work. You can do it in the library. Show who Jesus is by the words that you use. We have to use discernment. We have to be led of the Holy Spirit. We have to try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. As we compare and we make our decisions based on what is right and just and true about the character of God, that's how I'm gonna determine what I do So I shine light. Would you stand up and sing about that right now?